Welcome back to In the Queue, film conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host, Phil, and this is one of the most epic films I've ever seen. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, no, I could, I could, I could get on that page mm. and agree with that. Uh, this is Andrew. I am your other co-host. And as Peter Hames, the film critic, says on this release in an interview... Walking away from this film, you will have had a very unique experience, but not everything unique is meant to be understood. That's interesting. <laughs> that's, yeah. Well, that that's, a, that's yeah. a pithy way to start this discussion because mm. that's going to raise some interesting questions about this film and the merits of this film. Indeed. Which, by the way, is called the Marketa Lazarova, and it is a Czech film from 1967. It also has the distinction of being voted by some board of, of Czech film critics as being the greatest Czech film ever made. As of 1998, yeah. yeah. And for a long time it was out of print and it was recently released on Criterion, so now everyone can watch it. Before we get into this discussion about Marketa Lazarova, I would like to tell you guys out there in the blogosphere, in the podcastosphere, as it were, where you can find us on the web. You can go to our blog at www.in-the-q, that's the letter Q, dot com. On our blog, we have all of our shows posted. You can also leave requests for films you would like us to review, and you can also participate in discussions that happen uh, on the blog with other listeners. That's true. Also, we have a Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and search for In the Q, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil should pop right up. On the Facebook page, we also have all of our shows posted. We also have a space where you can leave comments and requests. And we also post videos and other things on the Facebook page to supplement the discussions that we're having that particular week. Um, you know, We put out two shows a week now, so we basically update that twice a week now. Yeah. Also, we have a account if you will, on iTunes. You can actually subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just do a search for In The Queue. Once again, that spelling is Q-U-E-U-E. And if you subscribe, then um, all of our podcasts can be delivered to you. They're all there, dating back from the very beginning up until the present. Uh, it's a great way to listen to us and a very comprehensive way uh, as well because you'll get them all. And that does it for our... Uh, web presence. <laughs> yeah, we've come to the end of that part Ooh, of this exhale. podcast. Okay. I hope you're all satisfied. Now, now we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, which is Marketa Lazarova. Um, as with a lot of widely praised films, this one is based on a novel by Vladislav mm -hmm. Vansura or Vancura. I'm not quite sure. Vancura. Vancura. Okay, there you go. And it's takes place in medieval times and the the general backdrop of the events in this film is the sort of the gradual difficult transition where Christianity replaces paganism as the dominant faith or or sort of ideology uh, yes you, you said that was the backdrop correct yes 
Yes, that's how I would characterize that as well. Right. It's it's uh it's one of the first things that people say about the film when they describe it, but it is not what I would call the primary plot or narrative thrust. Um, no. no. <laughs> the film is divided into episodes, um, into sort of vignettes, and each one comes with a different title. Um, and I gotta say, I mean, having these titles makes the film much easier to comprehend. I actually have had the benefit of seeing this film already before we watched it for this episode. Yes. And it was actually much easier to follow the second time. I can only imagine that that would be the case. Yeah. Because I found it to be extraordinarily difficult to follow. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that those title cards give you essentially a summary of, of what is about to happen in that section of the film. Right. Which, which is nice and it's very handy, but seldom do the characters speak each other's names yeah. or refer to each other in any kind of way that would allow you to discern who is who. That's true. And, but I would also argue that the title cards are misleading too. And I, yeah, I don't bit, think yeah. that they necessarily, what's, what's seen after the title card does not necessarily illustrate what was on the card. I feel, but, right. um, but there's a few players that you'll want to remember if you're going to watch this film and, um, the sort of the story itself concerns two brothers, um, who have check names. Uh, one is, um, Mikolas and one is Adam. Um, Adam has one arm and, uh, the two of them, are basically, you know, robbing travelers for their fa- father named Kozlik. And mm-hmm. um, it's a very bleak world in this film. It's very sort of cutthroat, as yes. I imagine the Middle Ages were, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And um, they end up taking a young German boy hostage. and Yeah, they, they attack a caravan of Germans who are going to see the king, I guess. Yes, they are because um, the father of the of the boy who's kidnapped actually goes to the king um, yes. to sort of, you know, get his assistance. He's he a, a bishop, right? Yes, that's right. Um, and then uh, Kozlik, who is the father of the the two boys who are marauding and and robbing people, um, he is preparing for uh, war with the king, and he's trying to get his neighbor named Lazar. To join him in the conflict, um, but Lazar is not having any of this, and so Mikolas abducts Lazar's daughter. Um, I guess partly in retaliation and partly because he just wants to. Um, the daughter's name is Marquetta, the titular character, and she's about to join a convent, um, but then she gets abducted, and um, her basically her innocence is is robbed of her, um, and the sort of the the encroaching conflict is a an upcoming war uh between uh Kozlik and um the king <laughs> this, this might be the longest summary we've ever done for a film okay yeah 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 so <laughs> i'm just saying no, no, no. This, this this contributes to my point that i made in the opening which is that this is a very confusing film it is a very convoluted story very much so. And I feel that while Marquetta 
she's not she doesn't exactly do a lot of heroic um deeds in the film. Mm-hmm. I feel like she is the central character because she represents goodness and beauty in this world that is very cruel and yes. and and evil. Well, her her father has promised her to the church. Right. Um, to go to a convent and become a nun, essentially. Yeah, and um, obviously fate intervenes and has other plans for her. Indeed. Um, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the film itself in terms of the filmmaking. I really thought this was, a, from a purely sensory experience, a very compelling film. But it can be hard to really appreciate that when you're not sure what people's names are. Um, but the actual filmmaking, the, yeah. the, the photography, and, you know, I love, this, I love music, good music in a film, it is so it's, powerful. The, photograph, the photography is breathtaking. Yeah. I mean, it's astonishing. It's some of the most impressive and incredible cinematography that I've ever seen yeah. in a film. Yeah, uh, it's it's you know it's gorgeous black and white like rich black and white high contrast cinemascope uh, like really wonderful composition. I mean, it's just it's really incredible. Very kind of unorthodox composition too. Indeed, yeah. indeed, and and a lot of uh, switching of, of there are a number of times in the film where they they switch to a point of view mm-hmm. shot yeah. from one of the characters' point of view, which is sort of uncommon in a film that it seems to be otherwise very sort of. Uh, presentational mm-hmm. in 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 the you know the arrangement of the camera w- in relation to the scene itself it's usually on a tripod or on a dolly uh you know very subtle movement if there is movement and it's uh usually backaways but occasionally it'll go to handheld or it'll go to this these point of view shots mm-hmm. um that are really fascinating if nothing else yeah. And the, the, the editing between those point-of-view shots and the static shots on tripod or on a dolly is mm-hmm. what I would describe as jagged. Um, it's, the transition mm-hmm. can be jarring, and I don't know if it's totally successful, which, I mean, this yeah. is something they do throughout the film, is like cutting from like a, a sharp crash zoom to a handheld shot to a static shot. And the experience, just the whole, as I said, this pure sensory experience is rough and it seems almost avant-garde or experimental and even yes. the criterion collection themselves describe it as an experimental action film which i thought was <laughs> a very interesting way to market this film it is it is and and to be fair this is a film that was sort of lost to film yeah. history for a long time um outside of what was then Czechoslovakia and is now the Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. It was not a particularly well-known film. It was pe- people knew of it, but it could not be viewed. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. And uh, and the Criterion Collection, as they are often want to do, uh, made it sort of their mission to get this to a wider audience. Yeah. Um, and I think it's very much deserving of it because it is a, a fascinating and a beautiful and a hypnotic film. Uh, but I, you know, for me, it was very, it was, it was a frustrating viewing experience. And, you know, part of this is probably not being a native speaker and of course, relying on the subtitles, uh, uh, to help me understand it. But I, I found that even, even 
I would say maybe two thirds or maybe even as far as three quarters of the way through the film, it started to sink in. Like I started to understand what the relationships were. I started to understand mm-hmm. sort of where, you know, where we are, where we were in the, uh, in the world and who mattered to what, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of cutting early in the film to, you know, as you say, very, there's very jagged cuts. Mm-hmm. There's very kind of abrupt shifts of tone or, or, uh, and you don't really know what's a flashback or what's a fantasy or what's just sort of like a poetic segment of the film. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're often jumping back and forth and it's very disorienting. And I couldn't really tell whose point of view I was, you know, witnessing at any given time. Right. There's a whole, there's a whole section, uh, when they're talking to Koslik or they're, Kozlik is sort of preparing for war, I guess. And there's this whole section of the film where even now looking back at the film, I have no idea who is speaking. There's a, there's a whole like point of view walks around the inside of this, this abode of this hut uh-huh. talks to everybody in the room. And I have no idea who it is. <laughs> I have no idea who it was. And to, to this, to, you know, right to this moment, I have no idea who that was. And maybe that's lazy film watching on my part to some extent, but I'm not sure that that's the case. Even in this supplement that's on the DVD where Peter Hames is talking about the film, he says that oftentimes the first criticism that anybody who walks away from this film with from the first time that they watch it is that it is confusing. Yeah. And I think that that is, and he says, and he makes the point of saying, I think it's intentionally so. And if that's the case, kudos. I will definitely return to this film at some point, but... And, and I, I can see myself making more sense of it the second time around now that I have a sense of sort of what that mm-hmm. sort of uh, dramatic through line is. Yeah. But uh, but as an initial film going experience watching this film, I, you know what I can actually relate it to? I can relate it to the first time that I watched The Seventh Seal, right? Because this mm-hmm. is another film that's filmed in gorgeous black and white. It takes place in the Middle Ages. Uh, it concerns ideas of God and man's inhumanity to man and mm-hmm you know, death and, you know, all these things and, and purity. And, uh, the, you know, walking away from the seventh seal, I was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Right. <laughs> you know, it was, it's so incredible. I can't even deal with this. And, uh, granted we, we just got done talking about another Bergman film persona mm-hmm. on this podcast, but, and, and Bergman being one of the truly great filmmakers of all time, uh, perhaps that's just, you know, Bergman being Bergman that makes me say that this is a great film. But I also think that it's because it, it, it sweeps you up in the narrative, right? It makes you, uh, it, it, it sort of holds your hand through the movie. And I'm not saying that, you know, I need to have my hand held, but this is sort of the other end of that spectrum where there's very little to ground you. Well, I think one way that you might put that with the seventh seal is that the seventh seal is, is perhaps, more aware of the audience um, in terms mm, of mm-hmm. what it shows us on screen and, and, yeah. and what we hear. Whereas um, Marquette de Lazarova is, is almost more confrontational as a film. It really challenges you to follow along and to get something out of it. And there's one thing about the film that I truly love, which is kind of a an overarching motif, um, which you could say is just a, um, a metaphor 
Um, the the wild dogs, they're the first things that you see yeah. in the beginning of the film. And there's a gorgeous shot, I love it so much, where these wolves, are not wolves, but they're like wolves, they're just wild dogs that are running across the snowscape, and the camera tracks with them. Yeah, it's like a, a tracking dog oh, shot. It's yeah. so gorgeous. And then these, these yeah. dogs appear throughout the film. And one of my absolute most favorite moments is when... Um, there's like a, a a vagrant or kind of a, a vagabond who um, who just kind of observes all, all the chaos around him. He's a he's like a vagabond priest, isn't he? Is he a priest? He's, or like a monk or something? Yeah, or that's the impression that I got. Oh well, I might maybe yeah. I'm not. There's a there's a point at which God talks directly to him. God as the narrator. We see we see a portion of the film from God's point of view. Yeah, I remember and that God speaks to him, but that doesn't which is another that doesn't necessarily sort of mean that he's a, a an official man of the cloth. It might just be that he's crazy. Even I mean, maybe anyway, that's up for debate, I guess. But uh, he he's inside of like an enclosure where he's got a fire going and he's kind of like safe for the moment, and then he opens yes. the door outside, and then there's like. 15 wild dogs just standing there staring at him waiting for somebody yeah. to come out <laughs> and these dogs are a great metaphor for death um or for yeah. you know it's always present it's always right around the corner in this kind of a vicious time period and um and it can chase you down yeah chase you down and kill you um but um i'm a fan of this movie it's really exciting and actually you know andrew we talked about that i was just going to download it from uh Amazon for like three dollars. I ended up buying it on DVD. <laughs> from um, did you get the Blu-ray? No, I wanted to save ten bucks, so I just got the standard definition. Oh, boo. but it still looks great. It's a great looking film. Yeah, um, yeah, and the Criterion DVDs tend to be of extraordinary quality, so it almost seems like you're watching yeah close to that quality anyway. But um, it's uh, I will say like this is a difficult film. If you want to watch it, prepare to watch it twice. To really yeah. get something out of it. If you're a, a real cinephile, though, then I would absolutely recommend you check out this movie because it is very exciting filmmaking um, and occasionally absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. I would say more than occasionally. I would say that throughout mm-hmm. the cinematography is staggeringly good. Yeah. Um, and I will say to add to your, your comment about that scene with the dogs, um, he... Shortly after the scene that you just described, uh, the uh, son of the German bishop mm-hmm. sort of stumbles into his little hovel that he has and uh, and sort of <laughs> lays down in the corner and is kind of sort of out of it. Yeah. And then uh, stands up and walks out and the dogs are there and he just walks straight through all the dogs without any of them moving and they're all just focused on this vagrant that you had mentioned this yeah. possibly man of the cloth vagrant who is standing there and they, they're just focused on him. And then the moment that the, the young man walks clear of the dogs, uh, the vagrant pulls the door shut and the dogs are trying to leap over it. Yeah. And it's this really like fascinating sort of moment. I would recommend this film to people who are fans of Andre Rublev, the Tarkovsky film. Yeah. I think this may even be a more, uh, may may be harder to understand or to follow, but in mm-hmm. a way, it might be more exciting to watch. Well, yeah, Andrei Rublev is a fascinating film in and of itself. But at least, like, <laughs> at least I say, 
in the case of Andrei Rublev, and Tarkovsky, of course, is also sometimes criticized by people as sort of being obtuse or mm-hmm. uh, sort of overwrought. Uh-huh. Uh, and But in Andrei Rublev, you have the film divided into three equal chapters, mm-hmm. essentially. And they each tell a narrative story, mm. you know, in those chapters, right? So it's a little bit easier to sort of pick up and kind of know where the narrative threads are ending and picking back up and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, putting that whole thing together is a, it's a little bit it's a little bit less work on the part of the viewer. Both great films. I really think that Andre Rublev is overdue for a Blu-ray issue. Oh yeah, um, yeah, with with more supplemental material yeah. than they commentary last time commentary yeah, by the yeah. late andre tarkovsky would be great <laughs> i'd actually like to see the criterion collection pick up a bunch of tarkovsky films stalker and the sacrifice and mm-hmm. you know like I, I think i think in fact i'm surprised that i think the only tarkovsky film there's two. Oh, what's the other one ivan's childhood that's right that's right yeah. so two tarkovsky films but still i feel like that's uh for such a giant of the cinema, I feel like that's a, a precious few. Well, see, this is what I really love and and get excited about with the Criterion Collection. There will always be masterpieces for them to acquire. They're yeah. never going to run out of great movies to find and share with everybody. And I think that they, you know, who knows? They might get the, the Tarkovsky films. I do know that they've they've already been reissued by I think Kino Lorber or some other reputable company so they may not be able to get the rights but that doesn't necessarily mean that it'll be that way forever and um one thing that i'm super excited about which i pray i'm not religious but i pray (laughs) happens is there's people who are trying to track down the original director's cut of the magnificent ambersons which which many people believe to be better than citizen kane which is orson welles of course, yeah. you know, eponymous uh, film. Um, but the studio hacked the Magnificent Ambersons to pieces and cut off like 40 minutes and gave it a tacked on ending and basically spoiled the film, although a lot of people still consider it a masterpiece. But yeah. um, Orson Welles' editor, Robert Wise, sent him a, a print of the completed film in Brazil. And now this cut this actual film version is rumored to be somewhere in Brazil and there's a filmmaker who's trying to find it and there's a documentary being made about that and Magnificent Ambersons I think would be a glorious addition to the Criterion Collection there's a ton of films I've sent them suggestions in the past yeah that they still haven't gotten to yet so like which ones Pichot uh-huh. is one of them uh-huh. which I which is a film that I saw at film school while we I were was there school. yeah and I thought was just a spectacular, what, a, what an incredibly powerful film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's a movie that nobody has seen yeah. or has ever talked about. Uh, a great, great sort of uh, international film. I think Brazilian, is that correct? It is. Hector Babenco actually went on. That's right. He, Hector he went Babenko, on to yeah. make some American films too. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, hopefully they will do exactly what they did with Marqueta Lazarova and sort of bring some of these films out into the light so that uh so that more people can see them and yeah uh you know 
talk about them, get conversations started, just like the conversation that we're having right now. Yeah, and they're works of art. I mean, they they are yeah. filmmaking of the highest order. Yeah, and this this film, you know, as we've mentioned before, the the music, the cinematography, all really excellent. The performances, the costumes, the richness of the world. I mean, it feels like the Middle Ages. It's it's uh, not I, so much like a film about the Middle Ages as it is a film from the Middle Ages. That's yeah, really yeah. how I feel about it because the camera spins and whirls chaotically, but everything it captures is authentic and and yeah. period. And it's like they just they create the whole world and then the cameraman just inhabits it and and he has no restrictions. Yeah, it felt to me in some ways like uh, like some of Kurosawa's films uh-huh. that are set in you know feudal Japan. Uh, and how how real and authentic those feel. This this felt to me a lot like that in a lot of ways. And plus, uh, Marquette Lazarova is one of the most beautiful and charismatic characters I've ever seen. Uh, she's <laughs> the actress is absolutely stunning, and every time like she turns to face the camera, I'm just like in awe. I mean, I just I'm just stunned by how beautiful she is, and she's well, that that was the idea. Yeah. I mean, they had they needed somebody who looked a particular way and could you know, convey what they needed, the sort of like mixture of innocence and longing and, yeah. you know, vulnerability, but also vulnerability. steel will. And she's, yeah. she might've been like a flower child in Czechoslovakia before this film was made, but, um, she's just very compelling. And, um, I think that overall I would recommend this movie and, um, I'm glad that it's out there and, um, yeah. Yeah. I would also recommend this film and I would do it with the caveat that you gave earlier that if you are going to watch this film, it is worth a watch no matter what, but uh, be prepared to watch it again mm-hmm. to fully appreciate it because I feel like having only seen it once thus far, I do not appreciate it in the way that I probably could. Yeah. So that's our show. Um, stay tuned for our next episode. We're going to be doing a listener's choice with Aaron who is forcing us against our will to watch Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah, against our will, (laughs) right. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, that should be a fun show, so stay tuned for that.